Hi, I'm Tristan Zinampan, and you're listening to Rapper Podcast. So through the past months, we've been trying to parse this question, who's a Filipino? So joining me today is someone who's explored this questions through the lens of cinema. So I'm joined by Mikael Red. He's the director of acclaimed films like Birdshot, Eerie, Neo Manila, and the upcoming Dead Kids, and Block Z, coming out next year. So hi, Mick. Hello, everyone. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is actually the second part of our podcasts with Mick Red. Earlier, we recorded a podcast with Mick about his experiences as a director. So he talked about what it takes to get into the industry. So you can see that under hustles inside the industry. So right now, we're going to talk about who's a Filipino through the lens of cinema. So here, we're going to discuss genre cinema, globalization, and Philippine cinema writ large. So first, your trailer to Dead Kids premiered earlier today. So can you tell us more about Dead Kids? It's uh, a film I did with Globe Studios, and it's loosely based on a true story. So I was inspired by a true event where college students uh, kidnapped their blockmate. And then I developed a story, but I tapped my brother to write the screenplay. And basically, it's, it's, uh, it's like a letter to our generation. It, it's, uh, in a way, a commentary, coming of age, crime thriller, but also a cautionary tale. And it's about generation growing up in this social political climate, and uh, dealing with their you know insecurities and their hangups and their your dreams and desires. I try to parse that answer. So you mentioned uh, it was based on a true story, partly based on a true story. So parang ito yung mga found films ni Bing Lao. Like you got a headline and then you try to add to it, like fill in the blank spaces. Can you tell us more about the story that you actually? based it on is it something that you saw on the news yeah it's something I think that happened last year I think it was in Letran mm-hmm. so students kidnapped their you know someone from their college and then they tried to extort money from the parents for ransom and eventually you know their plan was foiled and I think they were jailed mm-hmm. of course here we we you know I, I, I like drawing inspiration from crazy headlines but fictionalizing it here, we set it in high school, and then we made like the 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 kid who was kidnapped is like the son of a drug lord. So there's this angle of he kind of deserves it. Yeah, it's their interpretation of vigilante justice, but at the same time they're amateurs. So you know, eventually the plan is gonna get screwed up, and you know shit hits the fan, and you see how these naive young privileged you know kids deal with the consequences of their actions and deal with what happens in real life it's nice say i'm a fan of heist films so and parang pag when it comes to heist films what i like is seeing how the how they roll out their, their plans at the, at the same time how it gets foiled or how it gets how they're not you must struggle along the way so i'm actually going to be there this sunday for Premiere. Yeah. Hope you like yeah. it. And yeah. it's also my first time trying to do like a dark comedy, a satire. Another question on that note, na you mentioned this was based on a true story. So your other films, but did you also like draw inspiration from what's happening in the country? Yeah. Um, recorder was based on like a viral video of a kid who was getting mauled by, you know, by people. And then everyone just recorded this kid until he was beaten to death and shot with a homemade pipe gun. So it, 
you know, Dracarda was about like apathy and voyeurism and all that. Birdshot was based on a news article about a Bukidnon farmer who cooked and ate a Philippine <laughs> eagle and he was unaware it was illegal. So, yeah, I think again, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> Neo Manila was based on this BBC interview of a mother who moonlights as a gun for hire, so a female assassin. Eerie is, you know, based on your usual urban legends in schools and catholic schools where someone you know committed suicide in a certain cubicle of the bathroom but we used it as a vehicle to tell a story about mental health awareness and yeah now dead kids based on that uh, kidnapping story so interesting no? i'm speaking of dead kids so it'll be the first netflix original and then before that birdshot was actually the first filipino film on netflix so Parang before these things happen, parang it was unheard of to find Filipino films on streaming platforms except for maybe Sinatropa, which had which had a model na you paid every time you watched it. How did the streaming deals come about? Can Actually, you tell us more about it first? Most of both deals came from um, um, Globe Studios who acted as our, our sales agent as well. And, uh, you know, because of Birdshot, they developed a good relationship with Netflix, and then I, I got Eerie in from Star Cinema and uh, our distributors in Singapore. So with two films on Netflix, it was you know very natural for Netflix to take a look at my next film. And you know they decided to acquire it as an original. So what made you decide na ah, this will be a Netflix original? Hindi ko to ipapalabas sa sinihan. They offered a good deal, and it was something. It's a, it's a new business model, and it, it felt different because for the first time, you know, you we weren't worried about the first weekend. You weren't worried about yeah. ticket sales. Like we were editing, and we were already celebrating because it was profitable. You know, like straight up, this is what you spent for the film. This is what they offered to acquire it. It's straight profit. You know, you don't have to apply the multiply by three formula where the exhibitor gets a cut and then. This tax here, this tax there. I, I don't really know the exact math mathematics of that. But usually in the Philippines, when you go theatrical, you have to do the times three to break yeah. even. Here it was just like straight profit. Like, this is your budget. We'll pay you this much and it's ours. It's like a quick yeah. deal, you know. It's a, it's like a new distribution model now. We are very um, happy that we, you know, we were one of the first to do that. It's actually interesting because, right? Ano? Demand, when it comes to Philippine cinema, demand is really a problem that many scholars and many academics have actually been trying to fix. Even policymakers, and means they don't know how to solve this problem. So, here you, you mentioned yeah, it's like a quick fix, na the anxieties are lost. But I want to ask you your take on this whole debate on streaming versus the cinematic experience. Because there are purists, and you also come from a family that has purists. So, what's your whole take on this? Streaming versus cinema. Netflix is killing basically the cinematic experience. Dao. Not really. Ako nga, it's more of like why choose? You know, a, a lot of my films I did theatrical and went to Netflix. So you get the best of both worlds. And sometimes a lot of Netflix films do that. You know, they go festival run, they generate hype and get good reviews with their theatrical, like a short limited release. And then they go to Netflix. Uh, I did that with like Birdshot, went to festivals, Eerie, went to festivals, had a successful commercial run then went to Netflix so it's more of like uh, archiving as well you know your film is forever showing eternally well not eternally it's 5 years 10 years and sometimes it's worldwide so you get an uh, audience from you know different territories in fact that that's one of the reasons I landed um, you know uh, 
representation in the U.S. because they saw Birdshot and Eerie on Netflix and it's available in the U.S. So hopefully with Dead Kids, you know, I get more visibility there in that market as well. Pero like, what's your take on what you're saying na because of, kasi diba, abroad, I think it's more felt abroad than here na if you're doing this, they say that there's a gap between like smaller films and then this blockbusters, like the middle, what they call middle cinema is is gone, like yung mga Julia yeah. Roberts rom-coms. Kasi they're all relegated into um, Netflix. So, ikaw, what do you think of of those conversations na parang sabi lang, parang chicken and egg na, okay, Netflix is opening the distribution market, but at the same time, that's also killing it. Was, you don't get funding for these kinds of smaller films. Do you think it's applicable in the Philippines? Is it something na, that causes anxiety rin ba? For me, it's, it's, it's like a, it's a natural transition. It almost feels inevitable, honestly. Yeah. And uh, you just have to learn how to navigate through it and adapt with it. Uh, now it's not just Netflix. Uh, there's Disney Plus coming out, Apple, yeah. HBO Max. Amazon is becoming more aggressive Rin, in this region. And even ABS came up with I Want. Yeah. So you just have to... You know, it was like the same debate with film versus digital a long time ago. And now yeah. almost everyone is in digital and you would do film for novelty. But I don't think, you know, the movie theater experience will disappear. Maybe it will turn into more of a novelty. Hopefully not. But yeah, I mean, it, I, I feel like it's like a, a very natural transition. And it makes sense uh, now that everything is on demand. Every Life is, you know, faster than your pace. Everyone has... Start, everyone is starting to get you know faster internet connection credit cards mm. so it's it's something that filmmakers really should take advantage of even i actually agree with your sentiments na and your takes on it kasi i too like grew up in this generation and for me as someone who grew up in the province na i always found it a struggle to watch quote unquote independent films kasi how often would i get to see films like this like cinema laya films or cinema one films when in the province and layo layo mm. na mga nearest micro cinema and such but like last month si Richard Boris was here and parang he posed a interesting question or like even a thought experiment na sabi niya okay yes this is the market na we in order for films to get to gain better distribution, you have to appeal to international distributors. But he was saying, I wish rin naman na we didn't have to bank on them na demand came from within. Na Filipinos supported their own. Pero again, that's an idealistic take. Anyway, what I want to ask, kasi medyo nag-digress na ako, what I want to ask is like, how do you feel na it's become an imperative na to go global when it comes to Philippine cinema na even the FDCP, studios, like everyone has already embraced this notion na you go global first before actually getting cultivating the demand locally. I believe that's true. It makes sense. Like I explained, the business model is if you want to stay away from your formula that appeals to the local masses and if you want to elevate the type of films that you do, you know, you're going to lose audience here at first. So that means your film has to have the standards to get international marketing. So you have that buffer. So, for example, you make a very formulaic, um, you know, an effective, your, your typical MMFF formula yeah. film that makes most of its money sa masang yeah. Pilipino and it does 100M. The film that you're making, you know, will only 
taken like 30M from the local ano, masses because it's not as appealing as the proven formula. So what you do, then you take the other 70M buffer outside. But as a result, you make a film that actually profits, mm. that encourages your investors to make more of those, but it's elevated. You're not relying on the formula and yet you make the same amount. Mm. And then you keep doing that and then that 30 grows to 40 to 50. The taste of the locals will catch up and that you, you make it sustainable. So yeah, you have to sell outside. I mean, Bad Genius made more money yeah. in China than in Thailand. I think it only made like 200 million in Thailand, but and then the rest of it like made billions in China. So yeah, there's that structure. And by doing that, I guess you can make more ambitious projects. Then we can do films properly. No, we don't have to shoot 24 hours and in 10 days and get paid really low just so we can make our films cheap and fast. You know, we can finally make proper movies and everyone gets paid right and everyone sleeps right. Because it comes at the expense of film workers and we're so tired shooting yeah. 20, 20 sequences a day while Hollywood gets to shoot like one sequence a day. So to make films proper, we, our budgets will bloat. Mm. That means uh, our middle class won't be able to sustain those budgets, so we have to sell outside. Actually, nga, no? Kasi like it's common knowledge na the film industry here, it's really, really, ano matawag doon? Rigorous, like rushed. Na like, it's improper, yeah. Yeah, basically. Like every time you're outside the country and every time you're in a table talking to other filmmakers, they're always shocked by our yeah. process, our timetables, our... Mm are relying on play dates and such. I remember nga, like there's this film, I'm not gonna say which again, they were supposed to guest dun sa other podcast ko, Outside of Rapper, and it's like, the film was premiering nung Saturday of that week, then parang sabi sa akin ng contact ko, ah, hindi pa kami tapos mag-shoot, mag-re-reshoot pa kami, so mag-edit pa kami, so parang ako, grabe, like, it's just a process that's really so improper like what you mentioned a while ago and i think what's interesting is yun sabi mo nga, yung model that you're talking about i think what i find interesting about it is that ano siya eh, you know how like they say it's a chicken and egg problem na if you try to cater to outside markets what happens is parang ano nangyari it's like wala wala lang na wala lang napaparito ang filipinos na okay this is the kind of film that they should be consuming pero with what you're doing is that since they gain outside um, attention people inside get to watch it and example it's on Netflix it's on other streaming services nandoon pa rin siya hindi siya hindi siya nawawala ng option so I really find that fascinating na get to solve that problem because what they're saying is in this documentary Motherland diba? it, was, it was gaining so much attention pero walang way to watch it locally pero this way yeah it's something like ano lang, that I find truly fascinating and wala lang lagana na ako nag-digress na ako totally so anyway speaking of genre f- films so do you think this is a more viable you mentioned a while ago it's elevated genre so do you think it's like this better model than the much maligned poverty cinema. It's a, it's a better way of actually gaining attention. Can you just well, give that, your thoughts on that? Uh, for me, I mean, I, I, yeah. I can't speak for other filmmakers, yeah. but for me, my philosophy is I, I use genre as a vehicle. And, you know, you have an entertaining layer, but you have engaging subtext. Yeah. You reach more people and you change more minds and you do it subconsciously. You know, I don't blatantly advertise the uh, advocacy of the film. Mm. Instead, I tell you, hey, it's this hip thriller. You watch it and then you're slowly convinced or maybe subconsciously affected by it. And then it changes you without you knowing. So, I mean, that's the best way to persuade. No, You don't just 
mm. throw what you really want to say right away. You you draw them in first, and mm. then you make them realize it on their own. So that's what I think. Well, that's what I try to do with my films, and then I try to make it reach as much people as possible. Mm. See, even if you make a very let's say very art house, mm. you know. F- film that speaks about you know local social issues but then only you know a few Europeans see it in some mm. random theater in some you know first world country and not a lot of mm. Filipinos get to see it sometimes you're, you're preaching to the choir you know you're preaching to people who already agree with you with the sensibilities or what you're trying to say in your film like of course they agree that yeah human rights is important yeah. or something or if you're showing um, a certain issue but you're you know you're showing it to people who live already in a progressive uh, country of course they'll agree but how do you actually swing votes here how do you change minds here you have to make sure people here watch it and sometimes if you blatantly like show what you're trying to do people who don't agree with you won't watch the film because they know that okay he's left he's right then i won't watch it because i'm from the opposite side but if you just say yeah. this is a crime thriller or this is a I don't know, like a dark comedy, a heist movie. And then when they watch it, then they slowly change their minds when you smuggle what you really want to do. Oh, your Trojan, subtext. Trojan horsing, yeah. no? Uh, veggie <laughs> meat, no? Yeah. But ano speaking of eco chambers, parang feel kasi like when it comes to, uh, it's so hard to navigate. Kasi it's like, you mentioned a while ago that when you're targeting an international audience, parang eco chamber na, okay, they know if it's blatantly political, it's blatantly parang social realists. Parang okay, you're getting praise from like Cannes or other Western bodies na who actually kind of, parang those films, like mga films na brilliante, they resonate more to those audiences. But at the same time, here naman sa, I think a problem rin sa local industry is like, parang ano rin siya, eco-chamber lang na the people who are watching it are those na alam already, mo nang, Yeah, uh, already support it or agree with it yeah. or already advocate for it. So parang, you're all in the same forum, diba, agreeing with yeah. each other. So yeah, yun nga eh. Like even Neo Manila, you know, we didn't like just advertise like it's an anti-EJK movie. Yeah. No? Yeah. In fact, we put you there in the driver's seat and make you realize it on your own. Because we don't want to push away a certain audience, especially the ones that you want to convert. <laughs> you don't want to push them away. You want to get into their heads and smuggle it and then make them realize it on their own. It's not as if you told them to agree with this or decide this. They should ride, you know, the, ride the emotional journey and then they, you know, they go through their own transformation. But for me, what's hard about that is that this related to like what I mentioned a while ago dun sa earlier recording natin, earlier podcast. Minsan it's so hard to remain a singular voice when you're considering these factors na parang, okay, I don't wanna, I'm putting myself sa other side here na if I'm doing films for the Western audience, minsan I might be doing them, I, be, I might be doing this film for them alone. Or if I'm doing naman for the local audience, I'm doing it for the local audience alone. So like you, how do you maintain this parang singular voice na gets to code switch or like gets to mm. encapsulate all both markets I don't know I mean like like I said I, I use local headlines mm. stories here characters here but I add that western sensibilities a genres aesthetics a film language and the technical standards that they require so you know you have characters speaking in Tagalog pero posted by the US Netflix Facebook page yeah. 
So that rarely happens, diba? You have the attention of uh, US distributors, but it's a it's a Filipino movie set in the Philippines and it's subtitled. So, you know, somehow I'm not saying like we're 100% successful in our crusade, but somehow it's yeah. I I feel it's working. I mean, it's it's a chain reaction. Like I I can't tell you guys right now yeah. what the next few projects are, but it's all the result of the previous things that we did. And I always tell a lot of student filmmakers, you know, one of the best rewards that you can get as a filmmaker is if your project greenlights your next project or if it greenlights your next three projects. So I, I, I think we kind of hit like a sustainable yeah. uh, model here. Um, we're going to be announcing a few more okay. stuff soon. Uh, and it's interesting in a way that I think when you are doing something that actually benefits the industry, you're actually allowing more filmmakers now have other voices to come in. So, example, siguro kasi right now that you're developing genre films, I'm thinking back in the future, like what Netflix did also with Sina Bombak and Sina Gerwig, na, they're also they're, they're, they're a different voice, pero through streaming, they were able to also put their works out there. So, going back to genre, I think genre is it's related a lot to commercial to commercial entertainment. Na these are conventions. They're conventions. These are films that people eat up, like horror. Ma- yeah. Many people are saying na the Blumhouse model na kaya daming mga films na they're saying not they're, that are not that good, pero that get a lot of that earn a lot because it's cheaper to create these horror films and then people eat it up. Anyway, going back to the idea of commercial entertainment. I think you've read it, si Scorsese, di ba? Yeah, yeah. He, he was maligned at first. Yeah, kasi yeah. parang taken out of context na he said, Marvel... It's not cinema, movies, yeah. Oh, it's not cinema. So, he had to expound on it. So, what's your take lang on him saying na parang this commercial entertainment, it's not cinema? Well, I think na he's earned the right to say <laughs> that. Pero, he kind of explained why, yeah. you know? And even some of the filmmakers from Marvel... Uh, also, parang chimed in, and then they said, "Na, you know, he's made enough to be able to say that." But for me, it's a broad term. Uh, cinema can mean, you know, moving images, uh, billboard on Edsa, or a video game is can be cinema. Well, for me, it's cinema, diba? But you know, it, it's something that for me, I, I think I'm a Marvel fan. You know, I watch, I watch Star Wars, I watch, and I grew up with them. For me. It is cinema. Uh, for me, it is, you know, the modern filmmakers now have, I guess, delved into both. I mean, there are filmmakers who started with more auteur works and were absorbed by studios. In fact, it's a trend. The bigger studios are now, like, harvesting these filmmakers from Sundance, from... Who's the director who did, like, uh, Fruitvale Station and is now yeah, doing no. Black Panther... Uh, even Villeneuve, no? Denny yeah. Villeneuve like did what Incendies, and now he's doing franchise movies like sequel to Blade Runner or Dune. So Ryan Coogler, sorry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah Ryan, Ryan Coogler, yeah. yeah. And um, the boxing movies, uh, Creed. Yeah. Creed, yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, even yeah, most of the Sundance, you know, independent filmmakers who who start with auteur works, suddenly you see their name in the headlines, signing like a big deal with Netflix, you know, an exclusive deal with Netflix. So. So you can you know you can dabble in both and it's part of your I guess growth and evolution as a filmmaker and for me I, I've tried both yeah. I've tried pitching you know art house projects trying to get financing through soft money I've tried working with studios I've tried mm. straight to streaming platforms so 
you know, I'm confident that I can speak on, um, I guess, the challenges of each parang kind of uh, financing uh, strategy. And I would say, you know, working for a studio is super challenging. I mean, when you have parameters, it even pushes your creativity. And genre or franchise filmmaking, it always has these parameters. It's, a, it's not just thinking outside the box. You're, you're thinking inside the box. And when you're given restrictions, it becomes more challenging and it really pushes your creativity. So it's a whole parang art form in itself. For me, working uh, commercial franchises. Because now, I'm also doing like commissioned work for Star. Like they, they assigned Magic Temple. Nga, yeah. And we did like a zombie movie. But at the same time, I'm still making personal art house projects mm. being pitched in project market. So I know the feeling mm-hmm. of yeah. both. Like I, I know the feeling of the Marvel filmmakers and of Scorsese when he started out with this more personal works. I'm going to di- digress a bit, but... Aren't you afraid na kasi like there are many cautionary tales like sina sina Gavin Hood, sina of X-Men Origins Wolverine but yeah. before that he did Totsi uh, sa South Africa. Uh, but like they had this parang voices that's very local. fantastic for uh, Josh Trank, diba? They had local voices. Pero like after parang joining big studios, not not, not necessarily mm. local studios like cinema but like once they go international yeah. and they get plucked by this big studios parang they get ano eh spit sila right out kasi ang dami pala na lang kailangan boxes that they have yeah, to tick yeah. there are many cooks in the kitchen so what's your take on ganun? how do you maintain yourself when ako yung, yung ito okay. I never signed an exclusivity deal never signed three picture five picture <laughs> So I'm a freelancer, meaning I get to work with many studios. Mm-hmm. I get to develop with many at the same time simultaneously while working on personal projects on with a freelance producer that are still mm-hmm. cycling the project markets outside. So these are like the, the project markets yeah. where you pitch like uh, a more personal, you know, um, maybe even art house project and you get soft money, soft funding from grants. At the same time, working with the studios to sustain yourself, you know, as a day job. So yeah, I mean, that was a huge advantage, not signing. So I'm not forced to do any film that I don't want to do. I can work on several things. And the advantage of chaining more than one, and like I said, developing more than one at the same time, is if you do screw up, let's say you, you make a big major flop, by the time it flops, you already have another project about to, you know, uh, enter production, you already have a chance to redeem yourself <laughs> or, you know, like at least save that reputation if you're like uh, like a box office filmmaker or if you're someone who does franchises. You immediately have something to redeem yourself. If you don't develop more than one simultaneously, what happens is if one of your projects fails, you're like back to square one and it's very hard to kind of crawl back into that space. Uh, so the advantage of chaining projects, especially if you're already signed for the next one, is if this one fails, you're already on to the next one to maybe save you. So so that comes in handy. That's like a a tip if if you plan yeah, on making nice. this a career. But yeah. like, ano, since you're already signed internationally, I mean, you're, you are represented internationally. I have this assumption that once you get a project that's like Hollywood or a big studio back, parang the expectation is... You do, you do, yeah, of you do this. If, if it's something that big, Uh-oh. then you know how you should prioritize. But right now, because uh, the the things I'm doing here, you know, they're 
they're very early in development and then one is still in pre-production. So it's something I can do simultaneously. But you can always, you know, when you get something like a Hollywood project, then you'll have to you'll have to move there mm-hmm. <laughs> for the duration of the project. So so yeah, so right now, I mean the the agency that represents me, they only represent me for English language US-based projects. So Everything I do here, you know, I do on my own. So I, I have control over which projects to take, which projects to do first and all that. Okay. So speaking of international franchises, you mentioned a while ago during our first um, podcast that you dreamt of, you dream of also handling big franchises. Can you tell us more about that? What's your dream project? Mo? Star Wars or Last of Us? Or maybe, I don't know, Fallout? I don't know. I I always like you know fan service. <laughs> like I want to make a film where you have trailer reactions on YouTube, and then you see people you know get nostalgic or you see people get emotionally affected just by seeing the trailer because it's something that they're already familiar with. I always tell people that sometimes my filmmaking is born out of the frustrations I had as an audience. You know, I, I like making movies that I've always wanted to see on the local screen that no one was making. So no one was making like heist kidnap thrillers. So I did That's one. Uh, no one was doing like a big zombie movie. So so it's like me fulfilling fantasies as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I like that feeling when you finally make something mm-hmm. familiar and you share it with strangers, you share it with an audience. Uh, like really like I watched the Star Wars trailer like multiple times and I looked at trailer reactions and I, I enjoy seeing people you know get emotional from something that is very close to them very dear yeah. to them so just for fun since you mentioned a while ago na when you were talking you said you wanna get you try to take Western conventions and then distill it to local sensibilities if you were given like a big franchise like how would you also add that sense of being a Filipino to it like if you're Star Wars like like yeah I mean you know I would develop Magic Temple like Star Wars <laughs> like uh, almost like a remake slash reboot like a Force Awakens you know Samadhi it's real you know you'll, you'll have like, you know, lines like that basically you, you make it more modern more badass yeah. I think that's the trick uh, it, it's also the aesthetic siguro I don't know I, I move the camera more than most <laughs> filmmakers I don't know why I mean I, I get it that sometimes the aesthetic from older filmmakers is because the cameras were bigger. <laughs> you know, they had bigger tripods. They didn't have a lot of dollies or yung robotic arms and uh, panthers and all that. So sometimes yung aesthetic nila feels dated. And I think yung mga Hollywood aesthetic kasi comes from techno cranes. Yeah. That yeah. have this That's very true. perfect robotic movement. We don't have yeah. a lot of techno cranes here. Yeah. So. That's the challenge. We try to replicate those movements using simple dolly tracks here. So yeah, I would add that. I would add that flair. And I think people notice that uh, with my films. Sometimes they can't put their finger on it. Eh. Like they would see a trailer and they would say, Uy, mukhang pang international or mukhang pang Hollywood. And you you can't articulate why. I think it's the film language and the camera movement. It's it's the timing of characters, you know, turning their heads and the camera dollying in. Like, you rarely see that here. I don't know why. Like, that stylized way of, like, showing emotion, like like a, a victorious moment. You know, you, you rarely see that film language here. Also, I guess it's it's the way we edit our trailers. 
Yeah. You know, it has that very Western um, structure to it. Like, uh, a lot of local filmmakers should work on their trailers. I don't know why, but I, I'm obsessed with trailers. I like watching trailers. Like I said, I, I like watching trailers yeah. repeatedly. I like watching trailer reactions. So I'm very particular with my trailers. I'm very particular with how we hype things, how we would reveal like a, a, a teaser image first and then a teaser to the teaser trailer. Uh, so we, we copy that structure. What else? Yeah, that's one thing I should also mention is that I think one reason there's not a lot of genre filmmakers here because once they see that you have that aesthetic, you're usually taken by the advertising industry and uh, you yeah. become a TV commercial director and you earn more there. Yeah. So it doesn't... You'll see that most of the people who did their genre films with their first or second films are now TV commercial directors. So it's very rare for you to stay in the film industry and make it sustainable. That's why there's a niche. That's why there's that um, market that has to be filled. And I'm lucky that I'm one of those filmmakers who, where I get to consistently just make feature films. And parano, I came from advertising before. So I also noticed that many advertising directors, they have a hard time transitioning when it comes to actually making a film na. So parang maraming, maraming share, it's a shared frustration for many advertising directors na, I don't know, siguro it's because they've been programmed na sa ads na when they try to make a feature film, minsan, they end after one film kasi it doesn't get like good reception. You mentioned while ago the mixes, ganyan. Naalala ko lang, it's, you know how like right now, we're, what they're doing with Sina Joker, it's like they're actually they're using the comic book genre as the yeah. as a backdoor to tell other stories. I read nga si David Ehrlich. Sabi niya, one day ba will I see like Carol told through Thor, Thor's um the female Thor, si yeah. Lady Thor and si Vi- si Valkyrie ganyan. Yeah. So well, I think that's an interesting like idea. No one would have paid attention to the movie of Joker, like the exact mm. same plot, if it wasn't Joker, if it didn't have that IP package. Yeah, in yeah it, it's almost like the same thing. In a way, we we employed that same strategy with something like Block Z. No? Yeah. We would use something very familiar to the Filipino audiences, like a, a love team or you know, like a famous teen cast, and then use them to re to not reintroduce but to introduce a new genre to a lot of you know the local masses which is a zombie movie I mean I know they've probably seen Hollywood zombie movies but it's the first time seeing this scale of a zombie movie so we need to take a familiar component which is sometimes a love team or the teen cast and then use them to in a way deliver uh, or pioneer a new genre that is unfamiliar to the masses so in a way that's kind of like the same strategy uh and sometimes that's what i do with my films it's you just have to be aware of what what works and use it to you have to know how to package things you have to know how to like i said earlier reverse engineer a successful film and see what components made it work and then use those components to introduce something new yeah and that's part of remixing yeah I know we've talked about it, Tanina, but don't you ever fear na, okay, this is the model that works. You you basically Trojan horse things. Pero don't you think that maybe one day this will become, this will snowball? Because I know this is a sentiment in other countries that this will snowball na to the point that this is the only thing that you get to do. And we have to attach stories to IPs. You have to attach it to commercial enter- entertainment. And we can't anywhere do this. Para mga smaller tales, na smaller, more intimate 
stories na even if they do but people don't watch it don't you think like I said I, I'm doing both yeah. I'm doing both right now I can't reveal the other one yet uh-huh. but yeah. I have a movie come we're shooting next year like in summer which is a smaller uh, more intimate more personal film the trick is just to have like I said always have a a strategy you know there's a science to it just be self-aware uh, just because it's a personal film doesn't mean you know you have to be a mar- just a martyr yeah. and just throw money away like you know like my first film you know I lost a lot of money there I invested my own money and you said like a lot of filmmakers like sell their cars or their houses I mean you don't have to keep doing that yeah. maybe you do that for your first film but if you want to continue making more intimate personal stories that don't have that formula or strategy of attaching IP or repackaging it as a Western genre or something like that. You just have to have an alternative plan. Uh, just be responsible with the money of you know whoever's investing or whoever's you know backing your project. And you can always apply for soft money, you know, government grants, cultural grants from other countries where you're not obliged to return the investment. But if you're working with someone's investment, then at least have a plan. Maybe sell it to a streaming platform afterwards. Maybe do your own you know, self-distribution. Just be responsible with it. Because sometimes it's almost, it feels like you know, you're, you're burning a house or you're burning a village. You know, that sometimes that... I, I don't know. Me, personally, when I make a, when I make a film and um, I'm, I have investors attached, I, I really feel responsible for them and I make sure they get it back. I don't know. I feel I feel guilty. <laughs> I get anxiety. Yeah, get that. It's really, ano, in essence, these are the things that are happening right now. We get discounted, so it's really adapting. So, given all this with your experience, can you tell me lang? Can you answer the question like, who is a Filipino? That's a yeah. tough question. Yeah. Well, I think you can be a Filipino for the world. So mm. you can, you know. What we're trying to do is, you know, we're representing Filipino stories, but we're offering it up to the world. And we're trying to, I guess, change that image that we are not just like a one-trick pony, you know, that one note, one flavor. Maybe the international festivals see us, you know, try to, you know, box us in that we're only this type of film. Uh, I think when, as a Filipino, you know, you can, we're trying to change that. We're We're showing them that, you know, we can do genre. Uh, we have the talent here. We have the technical skills. Uh, we just need the resources, maybe in time. Yeah. So, thank you for joining us today, Mick. I mean, I'm a fan of yours and like, I had a fun really, thank you. Um, thank you talking about time. this. Because I think genre is also something close to me. And like, I am also one who who credits na this. These are things happening. And parang, yeah, it's here. So, it's part of progress. So, you had adaptive progress. So, I really enjoy this. So thank you. Um, so catch dead kids. Do you wanna plug dead kids? <laughs> yeah. Uh, catch dead kids streaming uh, worldwide on Netflix starting December one. And please support Plot Z when it comes out early next year. Uh, we don't have the exact play date oh. yet, but it's early next mm-hmm. year. And support these kinds of films. Support uh, local genre movies or maybe even. Uh, stream films that are on streaming platforms please support them uh, if you know these films get support then it will encourage studios to mm-hmm. keep on producing stories like this and at least we get to diversify our local cinema okay so if people want to get updates from you where where should they follow you or- oh just follow me on uh, instagram at red underscore mikael at instagram so this was Who is the Filipino with Mikael Red. So 
Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.